Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. 
All right, it's Film Study with Ken McCusick. Week 14, looking back at the Ravens' loss, 27-24 to the Chiefs. What's that, Arrowhead Stadium? Ken McCusick, how are you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing all right. That's Arrowhead, right? It's the Chiefs' stadium. That's correct. Still still the same place after all these years. And and still pretty loud. Yes. Yeah, still pretty loud. Seemed to be reasonably full for a December game. You know, obviously there's been a lot of reduced attendance across the NFL, but the – uh, tennis was still pretty good there. Right. Uh, the Chiefs have not lost at home this, this year. I mean, they haven't lost in general much, but not at home. And I believe this is the first time a team's team has taken them to overtime. Uh, you're probably correct on that. Okay. Honestly, I didn't look backwards. And, uh, All right. Um, well, it was, yeah, a lot of lead up to this game. Best, day, best offense versus the best defense outside of interceptions. Everyone's got to put that caveat on the Ravens' defense. So it was a big matchup, and um, I think it kind of led up to everyone's expectations. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, it, was a good, it was a good game. I, these kind of games are very stressful for me to watch in real time, but I really enjoy it more uh, when I get into just the analysis of it because it's more clinical. Even though the Ravens lost, I can still accept it and, and deal with that and just watch them watch it play by play and enjoy it. But, it, but during, when I watch it, you know, I'm screaming at the TV set and yelling profanity like everybody else. Right, because it is. It was a game where I needed a nap after this game just from watching yeah. it. That that the frustration, the the back and forth of the fourth quarter, uh, that I had a headache by the end of the game. It was like, I'm going to go lay down for a while. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I get exhausted. But definitely by attending a game in person, it's just a very exhausting event. But even watching a game on TV can sometimes be exhausting. Right. Um, yeah, the other positive off the field is we got more of Tony Romo. And I love Tony Romo in the booth. So it was nice to have that continue. Yeah, he, he was very good. I thought he was he was balanced about it. He, you know, he, he definitely speaks his mind in terms of penalties, whereas a lot of other announcers don't do that. You know, they'll, they, you know, I think Romo, if he was giving it, he would grade it on a scale of one to ten from ticky tack to, to right on the money kind of thing. But uh, you know, most announcers they make an excuse for the officials, and I, I I've never liked that. Right. Um... The Ravens went into this, and they, they must have had a good game plan because even being optimistic, it was still you're going in against Pat Mahomes, who's doing amazing stuff, who even yesterday we saw him make some amazing plays, and the Ravens kind of stuck with them most of the game. They did. They, they got in his face. Good pressure. We're going to talk a lot about that, I think, uh, the various ways in which they got pressure. Uh, you know, they held the Chiefs to 27 points at home. The defense did its job. You know, the, the Chiefs had some astronomical numbers coming into this game. The Chiefs had averaged 8.2 yards per pass play this season. The Ravens held them to 6.2. You know, that's that should be really good. They didn't get the, quite the variance they needed to, to get them off the field as much as they as they could have. But, they, you know, they played well. And they certainly had a chance to win the game in one very high leverage moment, and actually more than one high leverage moment during this game. And they just could not get it done. Right. Um, did we learn more about the Ravens team? Did we learn anything to make us think they can compete with the big guys? Or um, did the Chiefs make enough mistakes? Are the Chiefs banged up enough with injuries and uh, and all that that we learned more about who the Chiefs are than who the Ravens are? You know, it's a good question. I, I think we probably did learn that the Ravens can play with the big boys. I, I think as as weather starts to get worse, I don't think there are too many teams in the NFL who want to face the Ravens in the playoffs. Uh, 
You know, there there are, there might be teams that'll say, yeah, we can manage it, but there's no team that's saying, yeah, we want to we want the Ravens as opposed to somebody else. And I I'm thinking specifically of New England and the way Tom Brady has not played particularly well against the Blitz this year. That would be a really good place for the Ravens to start out if they could. So you're walking away from this game with a positive spin. Yeah, that's the positive spin right? I would take from it. Yeah, it's it's bad oh, that they lost it. So right. It's who a, likes who likes a loss? It's a loss, and it seemed like it was made even worse when the Steelers lost that on Sunday night. And you're like, oh, we could have we could have taken the uh, division. Yeah, valid point. And the Ravens, in, you know, they're. Their divisional prospects actually move forward significantly with this week, right? They, because they, of schedule, they, because of schedule. You know, obviously they they've they've got the easier schedule the rest of the way, and the Steelers just blew one of their real easy games, and the Ravens blew one of their hard games. But if you look at the at at the wild card probabilities, their wild card probabilities took a big hit yesterday. Uh, Miami won a you know a big game against right. New England, and the Colts beat the Texans. Both of those flipped the strength of victory standings in a way that is going to be very difficult for the Ravens to oh, overcome. Wow. Yeah, so so it's a big deal. And the Ravens need to now, if they're going to win a wild card tiebreaker by strength of victory, they're really going to have to beat the Chargers. And uh, it's it's just tough. The, the other thing that happened yesterday is almost no team that the Ravens had previously beaten won on this <laughs> on this Sunday. So it was, right. that was pretty That's bad. funny. All right, so you're saying we need to beat the Chargers in order to have a, have control of that wild card, but it feels like if we beat the Chargers, we could take the division. Yeah, if they get, if they go three and zero the rest of the way, they can certainly take the division. They have another path to do it. If they get to nine and seven, lose to the Bucks, but beat the Chargers, that's that's probably going to be good enough. Assuming the other teams go nine and seven, right? But I mean, they could still lose the tiebreaker at ten and six as it stands right now. Let me, can, let me confirm that for a minute. Yes, it is possible they can lose the tiebreaker at 10-6 and six against the Dolphins by strength of victory. So right. that's a situation they can't get into. Gotcha. I, um, I'm excited to get into breaking this game down because after the stress of the game, I walk away with, okay, we, we held our own with the Chiefs. Uh, and I was positive. The more I reflect on the game, the more irritated I get with, well, this team couldn't stop third and fourth down so we'll have to get to that and this team and the guy missed two field goals so there's six points off the board mm-hmm. where, where I start to walk away with okay maybe this game wasn't as positive so it'll be fun to go through it on this episode and then tomorrow's episode when we look more at the offense to really just sit back and evaluate this and take all the emotion of this game away yeah sounds good so, so let's start with what you're talking about with the third and fourth down because that yeah. was certainly a bugaboo for me. Is yes. the, the Chiefs went nine for 19 on third and fourth down. Now that's probably not terrible relative to what the Chiefs have done for the year. The Chiefs and the Ravens both are among the highest converting third down teams. And fourth down is even a little higher than third down because you only do it when you're more likely to get it. You always go for it on third right. down, of course, even if it's third and 20. But you know, with, with, with both of those factored in, the Ravens stopped them, sorry, allowed 9 of 19 conversions on third down. But that's really more like 9 of 16 when you factor in the fact that those failed third downs then became made first fourth downs in three of those cases. So it's kind of like boxing. Nobody cares about right. who won the first fight. They care about the rematch. That's who, you know, answers the, the call on that. So, you know, they, they had you know, 9 of 19 – Mahomes is just at the center of everything re- related to that. Um, he did 
sometimes it's just more about the other team's players than it is about your own. As good as the Ravens' pass rush was, it was not enough to fluster Mahomes. They hit him. 14 knockdowns in this game is actually 15 quarterback hits because there's one shared sack where they double credit it. But 14 knockdowns in this game is just a tremendous amount. The Ravens generated pressure on 28 plays. And this is the one that really gets me. The Ravens allowed Pat Mahomes ample time and space on only 15 of 56 passing attempts. Right. That's 20, 27%. Right, yeah. Now, you're, you're jumping ahead right into the pass rush. And that was one okay. of the amazing things is that with the pass rush, the Ravens did – this might have been their best game of the season with the pass rush – and Mahomes is just—he's amazing to watch on how he could move around and and get the ball out. Yeah, and that, and that was really what he didn't. He took big hits. He remained accurate. Uh, he was not affected by moving off the spot. And you know he did everything that was necessary to still be able to deliver the football under tremendous pressure. And you know that's a difficult combination right. to beat. And he—I'm afraid he's going to dominate this conference and this league for a number of years. You know, I, I said this a couple times, but I don't mind repeating it that. I was just, you know, looking forward to the time when Brady and Roethlisberger would be gone, and Manning, of course, is gone now, and and you know they're picking kind of a fresh slate for quarterbacks. But I, I hate the idea of a great quarterback coming into the league one, and, and he's not ours, <laughs> and the quarterback, sorry, the the quarterback position is so what the league is focused on and yes. willing to allow to run wild. So if you have Babe Ruth in 1920, you're happy that the the baseball is willing to let the power go wild. In, uh, in baseball. But if you don't have Babe Ruth, it kind of sucks. And, and yeah, and Holmes, not only is he coming in at the right time, he's going to break all these records because he also has the right team behind him. He's got Hill out there who seems to be able to catch anything. He's got Kelsey who our guys could not pull Kelsey down. I mean, right. it, yeah, so, he's, got a guy, he's got a team with him. Yeah, he's, he's, cert- he's got a good team now. And honestly, Whatever happens, he's going to way outlast all those guys. He'll outlast Hill. He'll outlast Kelsey by a mile. He'll outlast this offensive right. line and two more, probably. So he's going to be around for 15 years, and he'll probably spend his entire career with the Chiefs. And that being the case, you know, he's going to have opportunity after opportunity to rebuild that franchise and you know, maybe start over a couple times, but always do it pretty quickly in terms of getting the Chiefs back to the playoffs. So just when you have a great quarterback, you really got it made. And I wish the league would do more from a competing philosophy standpoint to levelize the game between offense and defense so great quarterbacks right. aren't the only thing that matter. And they, they will. It, we talked a couple episodes ago about how it ebbs and flows, and right now we're in the quarterback era. Not to mention he also – we always talk about pairing, and in Baltimore we talk a lot about how Joe never had the receivers to pair with him, mm-hmm. and Joe never had the consistent uh, quarterback coach, and the coordinators changing, and – I mean, the the play calling for Mahomes has been excellent as well. Yeah, he's got the right coach. That's a, it's a very good point. So, um, all right, so let's get in uh, some more into this pass rush because, like you were saying, there was all types of blitzes they were coming in. They were doing a great job of confusing Mahomes where he didn't know where they were coming from. Yeah, I think that Mahomes and the line was having a lot of trouble picking up all the blitzes, and they 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 did a lot of different things. We hadn't we hadn't seen a number like this, but they had 17 blitzes from off the line of scrimmage, which they haven't done in in a number of weeks, and that's uh, that's a lot. It was 56 dropbacks, so you expect there to be more. So that was good. Excuse me. No, but you're <laughs> you're talking about a young quarterback, so they're clearly the strategy is let's rattle him. So. Um, and that, I mean, that's exactly what they did is just went after him and 
play after play after play, their goal was to rattle him. And sometimes yeah. it worked. A lot of times he would step up and you'd see Suggs fly right behind him. Yeah. I haven't seen more pass rushers slip on the turf in one game than I, rem- that, that I did in this one in a long time. At least I can't recall it. All right, so let's get into the pass rush, this blitzing, and uh, the constant rattling of Mahomes. Right, so he had ample time and space on only 15 of 56 dropbacks I mentioned earlier. 27%. It's a prodigious rush to make that happen. They were moving him off the spot very regularly. I do have to say that some of that is by the Chiefs' designs. There were 13 balls that were out quickly, as and we kind of had them as a middle category where the quarterback pressure is going to be developed, and the quarterback gets rid of the ball quickly, either by design or by uh, intuition or by right. knowing that the rush need. is coming. And he st- yes, by need, yes. He beats the pass rush in doing that. And that, that, a lot of the Chiefs who run a heavy screen game, they're really looking to bring the defenders into the backfield as many as possible before that pass is released. So a lot of that, you know, some of the pressure was that where the ball was out quickly on a screenplay or whatever. But the Ravens generated a pressure event on 28 of 56 pass plays, which is still a tremendous amount. Uh, you know, 14 quarterback hits in terms of the the 14 knockdowns, and uh, they got they got three sacks. Two of them were were ones they actually generated. One that was on the Mahomes fumble ended up being a team sack, but still good good results there. Here's where it kind of breaks down for me. Yep. That the Ravens really failed, particularly when rushing five or more, to get any of the variants they needed defensively. So when you rush five or more, you're, you're looking for incomplete passes, to be sure, but that's kind of like a B-level result on the, on the test, if you want to put it that way. If you want to get an A, you want to grab a, you know, you want to have an offensive holding penalty, you want to have a sack, or you want to have a turnover. And the Ravens didn't get any of those in 23 times rushing the quarterback with five plus. So they they held the the uh, Chiefs to 6.6 yards per pass on those 23 plays, which is well below their season average of 8.2, but it wasn't good enough to. Uh, reduce, sorry, to increase the variance they, they needed defensively to get the Chiefs off the field enough. And the Chiefs ended up doing what the Ravens have been doing with Lamar Jackson the last few weeks of sustaining these long drives. Right. And speaking of long drives, how that happened at the end of the game when we gave, we took the, uh, the lead, we gave them back the ball with four, just over four minutes left. And they, right. they used all that time up, kept our defense out there on the field, and then they win the coin flip, so our defense goes out there immediately after. Yeah. That that stretch had to kill our defense. So, yeah, yeah exactly right. So it was a nine-minute stretch beginning Q4, 404, and ending when they kicked the field goal in overtime. And during those nine minutes, the Ravens were outsnapped 23-3. to three. So those three, the three Raven snaps happened at the end of regulation yes. and culminated in the Lamar fumble. Right. So that didn't last very long, to say the least. But, but the rest of the time, I mean, the defense was panting on the field. They were having a really hard time with it. And ample time and space completely reversed at that time in the game. So whereas they, okay, on the 16 pass plays among those 23 snaps, the Chiefs had ample time and space on eight of those. So they're eight of 16 on those plays. The rest of the game, they were seven of 40. So that okay. really... Is a big difference. Gotcha. So that's what we've been seeing the past three weeks. The Ravens do with wearing out the defense on the other team. 
uh, we got some of our own medicine yesterday. Yeah, unfortunately, that's exactly is, exactly correct. Do you think is that what leads to plays like when uh, I think it was overtime when Mahomes drops the ball and and Suggs cannot get to it? That there's a Suggs and another guy both falling next to it but can't get to the ball. Is that a tiresome out? Is that the fact that all day the pass rushers were falling and slipping? Right. How it do, could. How it, do you miss that be. opportunity? You all, I mean, Suggs missed two opportunities in this game that were pretty big. I, I look at them as just individual events. I don't think they really had a lot to do with how tired he was, but maybe okay. he would have had that extra, you know, bump in his step to get the to recover the fumble at least. The other one was early on the on the pass defensive line of scrimmage. He had a real good chance for an interception, and Suggs was hanging out there. He was trying to be a barrier to that wide receiver screen pass going out to the left side. And in so doing, I mean, he, he was very he's very aware of when that ball's coming. And in the past, he's intercepted such balls. Uh, it was a chance for one of those peekaboo interceptions from Suggs, and it didn't happen there. Uh, you, you can see from where he was positioned, he's exactly in line with the wide receiver and far from the quarterback. And the left tackle's way out there trying to block him on the play. So, I mean, he, that's exactly what he's trying to do. Anyway, it wasn't like the play surprised him in any way. He really – it would have been great if he could have tipped it to himself and, and, and caught it didn't happen. And the same thing went with the, with the fumble. Late in the game, he obviously didn't initiate the fumble, so he had less of an idea that it was coming. But, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe if he's a little less tired, it's early in the game, he has that extra pounce and, and is able to get on that football before before Fisher does to recover. Right. Um all right, every game, especially close games, people will complain about the refs. So we got to get into some of these issues because that is um, a lot of fans are online and calling into the radio and all and complaining about the refs. They do all the time, but here, let's pick out a couple first, a couple plays as you did in your article. And I want to start with the uh, Chris Moore in the end zone. It was nice to see Chris Moore out there getting opportunities, and it looked like the uh, defender was all over him. That's right. So it's Kendall Fuller in the end zone, who's a, apparently a uh, college teammate or went to the same college as Chuck Clark because they exchanged jerseys. And there's a picture of that after the game. So anyway, Fuller is uh, draped all over Moore. His arm barring is with his left left arm, you know, right. not allowing Chris Moore to get his arm up to try and Got assist there, and catch the ahead of the ball. Yeah, slightly out of the ball. We, you know, wrapped around him like an octopus pretty much, and, and uh, uh, it, it should have been flagged. I don't know how they missed it. It's the kind of flag I think if one official had thrown it, another official would have also thrown it. You know how that you see that sometimes that they yes. pile on with the flags from multiple directions. I, it's just it was strange to me that they missed that one that badly, and and I thought it was a I thought it was quite a bad call. Uh, probably the most egregious of all of them for the day, but the, these other three are pretty bad too. Right, because that was one of the plays, and we'll get into offense tomorrow, but that was one of the plays where it was a good pass right to Chris Moore. Uh, I, yeah. think, I think it ended up hitting him in the face since he had his arms pulled down. <laughs> so. Yeah, it, hit him in the, it more or less hit him in the chest. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was in, he was in position to catch it, and the, the throw was on target. It's, uh, it's really sad that it uh, didn't work out. All right, the uh, next one I want to talk about is the rough in the passer flag. And I believe it even came in a little late where it seemed uh, it was uh, he was pulling he was pulling Mahomes down kind of from behind so he couldn't see whether or not he had the ball and the flag yeah. came out. Yeah, I mean that's exactly it. And so to set the stage a little bit, this happened all in quarter two and within eight seconds of each other, the two consecutive snaps from scrimmage are what really make this egregious. So 
with 7.08 to go in quarter two, um, the Ravens had the ball. They were in the red zone, and Eric Murray came in and delivered a very late pass. Uh, sorry, uh, push down on Jackson. So it was a classic two steps, then a push down. Yes. Quarterback hit that often will draw a pass, a, a roughing the passer flag. No call. The very next play from scrimmage after the kickoff. So they kicked the, the kick a field goal, then they had the kickoff. But after after those two plays, they go to the line of scrimmage for the first play. Owasu pulls down Mahomes, and it's in the course of action. I mean, he's, he had him wrapped. He's going to go down. I mean, the definition of a quarterback hit that isn't a sack is that you pull the quarterback down after the ball is delivered. That's what it is. Right. So it, it's legal in, in, in you know normal circumstances, and this was just a normal continuation of the play. He didn't bring him down hard. He didn't rip him down. He did turn him, but he didn't twist him and flip him down or he didn't try and injure him or didn't roll over him like Syracuse on Gannon all those years ago. I mean, you know, there was none of that physicality to it. It was just a very mild takedown in the course of action. And as you mentioned, Owasu had his head behind Mahomes' back, and I don't think he could tell if Mahomes had delivered the football or just tucked no, it. No, there's no way. So, uh, yeah, it would have made sense. And uh, I, I, the juxtaposition of those two calls just had me screaming. Well, and the frustrating thing is that it's, it is when you look back and you say, oh, well, you can't affect that. And if you're the Chiefs, oh, well, we've got our own list of, of plays that should have been called. Um, but the, if we went into this game with the Chiefs being one of the most penalized teams in football and it sure seemed like the plays kept going against us or not getting called. Um, but of course that's a Homer call. Uh, yeah. I mean, Homer that's very true. Play. I mean, one of the things that we didn't talk about this in the pass rush, but maybe we should go back to it for just a second is that the Ravens got an awful lot of pressure in this game for there not to be a single holding call on the chiefs. I mean, they were in the backfield all day that creates holding calls. Right. And for there not to be a holding call, just, Boggles, right? Mind. Now I haven't looked block by block to make sure that any of those guys, you know, should have been flagged in some particular. Well, instance, I'm sure. But... That, I'm sure there's some in there. Yeah. Um, the uh, how about Judon was making his presence known, but then he got called on a unnecessary roughness. Yeah, I don't remember that ever happening to Matthew Judon before. Do you? Can you remember no. a stupid, stupid personal foul? <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, this was a bad one. Uh, it was a, a ticky tack. Back and forth shove. So you had one guy shoves the other. The offensive lineman shoves Judon. Judon shoves back. The retaliator often will get the worst of it, but it's usually a retaliator who's somehow escalating it or making it worse. But this didn't have any of the characteristics that normally go with an unnecessary roughness call. You had two guys shoving each other, but both the opponents were looking directly at them, at each other. Neither guy knocked the other guy down. Neither one threw a punch, and neither one hit the other or pushed the other while they weren't looking or in the back or anything like that. It just it just didn't have any of the elements of what you would want to have in an unnecessary roughness flag. I would say on the bulk of special teams plays, offensive and defensive players have to be separated by the officials in exactly such circumstances. I mean, they're high-impact plays and sabots. The NFL, it's a, it's a league where players get hot because it's a physical sport. Jump in there. Don't make yourself the center of the action. If you're the officials, just jump in there, separate the players, as you always do, and have no call. Or, you know what else would be fine? Go back to the 1970s way of doing it and just throw a flag on both players. Maybe both of them get a small fine. Right, and offsetting. That kind of thing. But offsetting, and then it's no yardage deal, and it doesn't mess up the play, and you call it for after the play, so it doesn't have any impact on the field position or anything like that. But this was just this was a 
crap call. Right. Now, we talk a lot about how we don't want the refs to influence the game. Just keep it going. And that's why I had no problem with them not throwing a flag at, on the final Ravens play of the game, throwing it towards the end zone. There was some touching and stuff, but I can see if they gave that to the Ravens, all the Chiefs fans saying the refs gave us the game. So um, I can see that. But there was a play earlier in the second quarter that I want to talk about because the refs didn't even pay attention to it. And that, that was – go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. Well, I was just going to set up the um, – the Robinson makes the catch for the Chiefs and Humphrey – goes after the ball like the cornerbacks always do instead of going for the tackle he tries to yank the ball out while taking the guy down and you couldn't tell on uh live on tv whether or not he pulled it out but the refs didn't even look at it and humphrey seemed to think he pulled it out right a very quick interaction there so so basically the two players rolled over and humphrey had the football right that's the way i saw it and if you watch it in slow and i have done that it appears to me it was probably the correct call but you know it's certainly i could i could make a defense for either case you know, maybe the the receivers didn't have possession at the point he was down, and then and then it does become whoever comes down with the ball from that point. But in any case, I could I could come up with a defense for either argument. But what I can't come up with a defense for is why the replay official didn't stop the action at that point. Well, why didn't they take a moment to look at it? Right there, there were no replays, and all this stuff were going in. There was no replays in the game yesterday. They didn't, um, there were no challenges or anything. No, cha- okay, take no, your word for it. Uh, yeah, from what I remember, no challenges, no replays. If there was, I mean, I'm sure there were the touchdown booth review that doesn't mm-hmm. stop stop play. I'm sure they did that. Um, but it, you mentioned also that they've had that the refs had trouble spotting the ball, and we saw this over the weekend highlighted with the Army Navy game, where it took the officials an eight minute review to get the, get the spot of the ball correct. Wow, I did not know that. That's fine. Yeah. So okay. we we don't <laughs> want that in the NFL, but but. It seems like to know where the ball goes on the line, I've been pushing for years. There's technology that does this. If we're not going to use technology, let's at least get it right as humans. Right. I mean, they, all, you, all you need to do is have a pager or a little satellite phone or whatever that the, even, that the, the referee can get a picture of where the spot was on the previous play or you know, a, a yard line down to a tenth of a yard kind of thing where they can estimate that sort of thing. I mean, it's, it's so easy to do it with the technology. But, yeah, you're, you're right. It, it just – bothers the hell out of me when crews are unable to spot the football successfully because I think it really is indicative of other weaknesses in the crew in general. But in this game, there were two of them that looked really bad. And one was in the in the second quarter, Urban had backed up the right tackle, Schwartz, who, by the way, is a, is a really good right tackle, uh, but he, he was just abused by Judon all day. Uh, uh, but Urban, in this case, backed him up two yards into the backfield, and blew up where for what appeared to be a loss of two or maybe one and a half at the worst. But effectively, where ran into the back of the offensive lineman. All the Ravens swarmed over him at that point. He never got anywhere close to the original line of scrimmage, which was the 34. And yet, that's where they marked the football. So two yard or one and a half yard, perhaps, missed spot on that play bothered me. And it did matter. They ended up making the first down by one yard. Right. Not that that's the way it necessarily would have worked out, but that's, the, that's what actually happened. Um, and the second one was more egregious in some ways. So Mahomes was flagged for intentional grounding. And it, the, the rule of intentional grounding is the loss of down, but the loss, the loss of field position is 10 yards or greater if the spot is more than 10 yards from the line of scrimmage. So if you drop back 24 yards to pass, then you throw it away, then it's a 24-yard penalty. But if you drop back five yards to pass, then it's a, five, then it's a 10-yard penalty. Well, in this case, drop back eight yards, apparently, 
they put the put the ball eight yards back instead of ten yards back, and it ended up being eight yard penalty when the minimum was ten on that. So really right. bad. Uh, it's just kind of a mistake I I don't like. Yeah. Um, how does how does the NFL deal with this and fix these issues for the future? Because I know like. John Harbaugh asking about it, and he's like, you guys you guys write the articles about the bad officiating. I can't say anything. You guys write what you saw because I don't right, want well, to get fined. There's so, a problem right there in the middle is that is that the, um, the, the players and the coaches are not allowed to criticize the league. Right, and which the, doesn't and the make any is, sense. It, it, it really doesn't. The league is hyper-conscious about their own ability to maintain the integrity of the game and they should be it's very important it's it's so central to the game i can't even say and you know whenever there's been th- accusations in baseball you know right. going back to the turn of the 20th century of this kind of thing happening it's extremely bad for the game i get but, that but but the players and the coaches they all still talk to each other they all yeah. know who the bad refs are they know what refs they don't like and what refs are making the mistakes so are they at least reporting to the league and just not saying stuff in the media well, I, I don't know. That may, be, that may be where the restriction is applied. I think the restriction should be they can't attack the integrity of the officials. And I don't know if you remember, but in 1979, oh, you probably don't remember. In 1979, nope. the Ravens played a doubleheader. The Ravens? Uh, I'm sorry, the Orioles played a doubleheader at the White Sox. And in the first game, uh, Earl Weaver got kicked out of the game, but he announced that he was protesting the game on the grounds of the umpire's integrity. It was Ron Luciano. Right. It was, it was a classic uh, umpire that hated Weaver, but he made all kinds of money after his, after he was done his umpiring, making fun of Weaver effectively. Okay. And then when they when they came out to exchange the lineup card for the second game, um, one of the other umpires stepped in front of Earl and between Luciano and said, Ron has nothing to say. We, you guys won't be arguing or talking together for this game. I'll be talking for Ron. Kind of <laughs> Weaver lit into him and got thrown out of the out of the second game of the doubleheader before, before the well, lineup cards were exchanged so yeah anyway there yeah. we go so anyway this is the kind of thing is that i understand why it's important to keep the integrity of the games safe and they really should do a better job doing that but they really should be careful about doing that but that's all you need to protect you don't need to protect the officiators from making mistakes everybody mistake makes mistakes and you need to find a way to get better and I, you know i think for for the spot of the football Having better technology on the field would be good. Having another official in the booth whose only responsibility is to spot the football correctly, who could beep to the officials and stop the play and get it spotted correctly would be an easy way to do it. I don't understand why you don't use technology for uh, first downs. You can work it in. You you get that ball. Once it crosses that line, the little uh, first down marker lights up. Everyone knows there's no question. (laughs) You just go on. It seems like the thing that makes the most sense – but it's, I'm probably arguing the same way people argue about a digital strike zone. So I, I get it. Um, the, what the NFL does do every year is rule changes and rule adjustments. And one of the big storylines going into this year was the whole lowering of the helmet and it being enforced on both sides of the ball. And I saw a play early in the first quarter, I believe it was, where the I think it was a wide receiver, not a tight end, caught the ball, lowered his helmet, and then uh, Humphrey got called for uh, initiating the helmet content on it. How then are, do you tackle after the after the player already bends down when you can't go for the head and they're blocking their their waist with their helmet? Okay, well, there's there's a couple things going on here, and and, and very interesting points. So I agree that on that play it might have been coincidental lowering the helmet, um, but but here's the problem. 
is that flag is never really enforced on the offense. In fact, PFF put out a tweet that it was it had been enforced for the first time on an offensive player in week 13, which means week 14, sorry, which means it's just not being enforced equally. Effectively, the offensive player's head has the right of way in all situations downfield. That's the that's the best way I can put it. So it's uh, back to them wanting a high power offense. Yeah, they it's want a they want they, they do. They're not really trying to fix that part of it. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm okay with that if the, if the way they want to do that. Here's what I'm not okay about. In this PFF tweet, it said there had been 10 flags for lowering the helmet in the league so far this year. And I said, wait a minute, 10 flags? Right. I've seen close to that just in Ravens games. It's got to be more than that. Yes. So I went back to the Ravens list. You can get the list of, I mean, of penalties. Right. We had Go one ahead. yesterday. We had one last week. Last we, week, we, we had one. That, that, that's right. So so the this was through 12 weeks, not through 13. Okay. So so anyway, I, I first thing I did was I looked back to the week 12 one where, where Humphreys in quarter two, 656, and I said, you know, if I go back and look at that, I know that's what they call it is lowering the helmet. And I started off, I listened to the broadcast, it said lowering the helmet. And then I looked at the game book, and it's been changed. It was originally lowering the helmet to initiate contact. It got changed to unnecessary roughness. Well, this is because this is the play where the helmets didn't touch. He led with the shoulder pads, right? That's, that's exactly right. So what's happened is the NFL has gone back after the fact and said, let's call the, appro- the penalty that's appropriate to the circumstance. Well, I call bullshit on that. You, you, you shouldn't right. be able to change that call to better match the facts any more than you should be able to call a phantom holding or pass interference flag. I mean, you made a mistake. Yeah. Well, own up to the mistake. Own it. Right. Otherwise, how are you evaluating how the rules are doing, how the officials are doing, if you're changing them after the fact? That's exactly correct. You have no way to do it, and it's not really open to the public because whatever file they're keeping on the side that tells them how many times they originally called it and then how many times they, they changed it and it wasn't really that, they're not showing us. Right. So they're not really having a public discourse over the uh, you know failed application of this LTH call. So anyway, I, I, I really dislike that. I dislike, you know, the the um, uh, non-transparency of that. So uh, anyway, that bothers me. Gotcha. Um, all right, let's talk about a few guys as we do each week. And I want to start with Matt Judon because he has seemed to get better and better these past three, four weeks. And at first I thought it was just lesser opponents, but we've just faced the number one offense. Yeah, So and he had a, he had a, a tough assignment against – what is what a PFF's top-rated right tackles uh, in Schwartz, and this guy used to play for Cleveland. But anyway, Judon had I think it's five quarterback hits in the game, one of them a sack. So very exciting in terms of the, the the pressure he generated. He had other times where he was the guy who moved Mahomes off his spot with the initial pressure, and somebody else would get the quarterback hit. So uh, you know, really fine game from Matthew Judon, and and uh, you know. I, Got nothing but positives to say about his play, really, since the three-sack effort uh, on, on three straight plays. So, really good game. The Ravens had several instances in this game. Actually, they had one instance where they had a quarterback hit on three consecutive plays, and they might have had four out of five also at one point. So, great game in terms of getting pressure on Mahomes. It just didn't didn't translate into actual right. results. Uh, well, one thing that pressure did get is it set up Chuck Clark for an interception. That's right. So, Chuck Clark... Difficult game in general, but Chuck Luck did have an interception. That interception was the first for the Ravens in 515 game minutes. Right. Week five rounds, right? Week five rounds, exactly. So eight games plus 35 minutes. 
is what that translates down to. So that's uh, that is a long time to go without an interception. Great to see the streak broken and Chuck Clark get it. An otherwise difficult game. He missed some tackles in the game, at least two. In the first half, he was responsible for a lot of the coverage on Kelsey that didn't go right. Uh, there, there was some there was some to be handed around, but oftentimes he was part of a bracket or pairing that's covering covering Kelsey. And uh, Kelsey, of course, went went wild in that first half. Right, and that's got to be part of the Ravens' focus this week is is stopping tight ends because that that's been a problem. And Kelsey just tore that apart in that first half. Yeah, you you would you would think that was part of the big defensive game plan this week. Absolutely. Right. Um, how about Anthony Averett? You know, great game in relief. And the Ravens suffered two injuries that I haven't heard anything said about so far in the media. But Marlon Humphrey and Tavon Young both left the games early. They both show significant snap counts. And, you know, people may think, oh, they were rotating or whatever. No, they weren't. Both those guys were out. And the Ravens were forced for the last, you know, several drives to play just Carr at slot corner, Averett and Smith on the outside with no variation. So that really left them a little bit tied. But fortunately, Averett came through and played very well. So um, I, was, I was happy with his coverage and uh, just really happy the Ravens have seemingly another cornerback they can really depend on uh, if something else happens. A lot of people thought he'd be the perfect matchup for Tyreek Hill, given they have very similar uh, speed and size. I'm not sure Averett has the same change of direction. Averett, so far, has been primarily an outside corner for the Ravens. Uh, they did use him a little bit in the slot in preseason. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see where that goes because he, he looks like the real deal. Right. Humphrey and Tavon Young both came away with groin injuries. And the only comment I saw today from Harbaugh was saying that it's something that, uh, in reference to Marlon, that it's something that he will probably continue to deal with. Okay. So it's something to keep an eye on the next few weeks. Yeah, he, he definitely he, he finished the series, but he came up lame on a long pass where I noticed he was, he was holding his legs together more tightly step by step after the ball had already been incomplete. I see. Um, all right. Uh, how about how about Michael Pierce? Yeah, well, uh, Pierce had another fine game, dominated the line of scrimmage. Um, he found himself in an odd position in this game a couple of times where the Ravens only used one defensive lineman in some cases and two defensive linemen in another. But they generally had a, had a um, formula of going light on the line and getting extra pass rusher in the game. So let's remind the fans of you know what what goes on in typically in the Ravens pass rush scheme. They normally have one of their defensive line on the field. It's often Pierce now, along with Zadarius Smith on the inside, and then Judon and Suggs at outside linebacker to to rush the passer. So occasionally the Ravens will stick with that, even on a third and relatively short situation. They had one of those come up with a third and one. They had exactly those guys on the field. And Pierce was not able to to do anything in that situation. And Zedaria Smith got moved back about three or four yards by the guard on the play. And they, they converted the first down with a gain of five. Th- that happens. Pierce made another fantastic play in this game, which is two games in a row, to beat a double team uh, that was very impressive. So, uh, you know, positive game for Pierce. He's, he's on the Pro Bowl list. I encourage people to go out and give him a, a vote on that. I would like to see still more pressure than him. The, the one thing that was bad about the deep interior defensive lineman is that in 89 total pass rush snaps, they contributed only five pressures, no sacks or quarterback hits from them. Uh, and, and that's not enough. You really need to get more from your true defensive lineman um, than, than that kind of production. Gotcha. 
I saw some people today kind of bashing C.J. Mosley for not stepping up, uh, but I didn't see anything from him on Sunday that really stood out. And I kind of think of him as a guy as if I don't see him being beat, he's having a good game. How do he do? Yeah, it, that's true. And and Mosley had a decent game for tackles. He made a re- very nice play on third and three, I think it was, to bring up fourth and four when he tackled a guy for a one-yard loss. And then that became fourth and nine, and then the, and then the Chiefs converted it after the penalty. But the uh, uh, you know he made a very nice play on that play. He had other plays that were decent in the run game. I, I'm not sure what else he might have done that that people would be not liking. They missed tackles or something. No, I know the other thing was on the fourth and nine play, he was near to Hill in yes. coverage. So I have to see what happened actually on that play to see if that was a a mistake by Mosley. But I'll tell you this: anytime that Mosley is 30 or 35 yards downfield, I think it was 32 yards from the line of scrimmage that ball was caught. Um, I, I can't say you can expect much from him. It's not reasonable. Right. So, right. And, you know, and, and he's not the right guy to expect to go up against a guy like Kelsey in the middle. Yeah. Either. Yeah, that's very true. Um, all right. Let's get to a few mailbag questions. You send in your questions using the hashtag film study mailbag and we get to them. It's as simple as that. Uh, first one up, let's see, is from Minion Hunter. Why did both Wink and Marty go away from what was working, the running and the pressure at the end of the game? Okay, so let's talk about the pressure first. I think it was a matter of them being tired. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously that that was really what it came down to is they just did they didn't generate pressure because they were they were too tired to get it done. You know, Romo said some other things about you know particularly in the drive at the end of regulation since you really have to prevent a touchdown that they shouldn't have introduced any gambling on defense to try and create a play before they got down in, in you know, in right. the red zone. And, and you, you don't know, want to give up the big play. You don't want to give up the big chunk play. I don't know that I completely agree with that logic, by the way. I think the defense has only a limited number of times to get off the field period, and they should probably take them as they come up. Right. And the Ravens had redraw value in that situation that they wanted to preserve. Now, what I mean by that redraw is, is a poker term where if you're if you have two pair and your other guy fills up his flush or straight on the turn, then you have redraw value on the river to get a full house. If that makes sense. Right. So you can you still have one extra chance. Well, the Ravens had ended up with you know a minute or whatever. I think might have been 53 seconds at the end of the game to uh, to try and kick a field goal. But they uh, they could have had more if they'd have been willing to gamble on defense, maybe give up the score, but maybe also get off the field. So I I, I generally like continue to gamble on defense when there's redraw value and the other team's playing for the tie. Right. I get that. Um, that's different than in overtime. But yeah, yeah when, over, you, when you got overtime, the time. you got to figure let, out how to stop them. But let's talk about Marty because it sure seems like, and we'll get to the offense tomorrow really, but it sure seems like Marty likes to throw the ball and it seems like he was doing it at points, uh, especially in the overtime where he still had like two and a half minutes and he was trying to throw the ball when really we just had to get down into field goal range. Is that a Marty wanting to throw the ball? Why is he, why do you stop running the ball when it works with Lamar to, to run? Well, you, I mean, you do, first of all, you do what the defense will give you. So if they're, if they're stacked up to stop the run, you have to pass, you know, honestly, we're going to look at the offense tonight. So, right, so this is an area where I'm, I don't know that I'm really right. ready to answer this question well, we'll, yet, but all right, well, let's save it. Let's save that question. Um, instead of trying to link the two, let's, we'll get to that one tomorrow. Um, all right. Uh, Spencer wants to ask, did we get hosed by the officiating in both the saints and the chiefs game? And this is what I mean by it's a Homer question. Both teams, yeah. not, the loser always thinks they got hosed. 
Uh, that's true. I mean, the, the, the big game, the, the big thing for the Saints game was the misspotting of the football and the treating the first down line as if it's the goal line for just needing to, you know, stretch out of the line of the game and then pull it back kind of stuff, which it's not. So a bunch of problems that were were kind of distinct from that game and unusual in the fact that it was a, it was a, it was a game of inches truly in that game where, you know, the, the Chiefs game is much more a game of yards and big plays. You know, that, that game was really coming down to inches right. on those on some of those first down spots. So, yeah, it, it, a little different, but I think in both games, the common thread is that the Ravens kind of got the worst of it with the officials in both games. All right. There was a part in the game yesterday where I was rooting for a tie and didn't really care about the win. I just wanted the field goal to tie the game, and I was going to be happy going away with that half of a win, which uh, Minion Hunter, I guess, was thinking the same thing because he wants to know what happens if the Patriots and Steelers tie. And I'm assuming he means next Sunday. Yeah. Not, not uh, in the playoff race. Right. Well, I don't think they can tie in the playoff race, or at least it's not very the, likely. The Patriots would have to get a tie. tie. Yeah. Right. And not against the Steelers, because then they'd have two ties. Yes. So, um, so anyway, yeah, if if they tie, it doesn't really help the Ravens. It, it hurts the Ravens because the Steelers would still have the divisional record tiebreaker. Head-to-head is even, but divisional record tiebreaker, they would be ahead of the Ravens. So I, I think that you know a tie is not something the Ravens want. They right. very badly want the... Math- um, mathematically, those then two ties of the Steelers would equal that win, would equal a win, and put that, them one, right. one point ahead when, if you're just counting by numbers. Uh, Josh Hoffman gets in here. Do you think it's likely that we bring back Jimmy Smith next season? Everyone seems convinced not. However, he, uh, should could we return to the days of having the type of money invested in CBs due to the potential Flacco-related cap savings? You know, I, I guess it's possible. Uh, you know, there are a couple of things that are possible. Because it's the last year of a contract, you might do it at a reduced value. Uh, they might be able to trade him and get a little something. It, what they would be able to trade him for is probably be a deal similar to what they got for Anquan Bolden when he left here. A lot of people wanted to pay him in 2013. It would have been about $6 million. Uh, the Ravens really didn't have the cap space to do it and still pay Flacco and cover their other uh, needs that they had at the time. So they, they let him go, and they got a sixth-round draft pick. It was really a cut. It wasn't a trade, but they got a little bit of, uh, you know, residual value out of the deal. Uh, what do you call it? Recovery value or recycled value. Right. It, it's. Yeah, I'm looking for a word here that I'm missing, but in any case, they, they they got a little bit of value back, but you never expect to get full value for the player. I think if they trade Jimmy Smith, it'll probably be something like that. Somebody really needs a cornerback and a good one. We'll take him at nine million for the rest of his contract here. And the Ravens will, will it'll be just as if they've cut him, and they'll get a little bit of uh, of draft value back. Right, but I would think the depth that we have at secondary plays against bringing back yes. Jimmy Smith. Right, I, I I would agree with that. And that's the that's a very good point. Is that the the Ravens because they have a fair amount of youth and depth, and you know a couple guys, SJB could be back and playing for the Ravens next year. He looked pretty good in the preseason. We got Jalen Hill back, uh, so there's there's more depth even beyond what the Ravens have got now. And then, of course, in the draft, if DaCosta's already said, you know, you, you need to treat cornerbacks like pitchers and kind of bring bring one in every year to kind of add to your stable and, and see what you got. So I I'm I think the Ravens, with or without Jimmy Jimmy Smith, will probably be okay. Uh, he has played better, and that's great, the last few weeks. And uh, I'm, I'm very happy to see it. If he uh, if he could be traded for something, that's great. If he if uh, if the Ravens can find a way to keep him, I'd be I'd be great with that too. All right. Uh, and you know what? I think, thank you for the question, Josh. It looks like you signed up for Twitter just to get that question in. So that's exciting. Uh, clock is going to get in with our final question, which says, 
Wink seemed to do a great job at halftime adjusting to the coverage scheme to emphasize Kelsey. What exactly did they do to limit him in the second half, and how much of that was attributed to uh, Hill's injury? Okay, great question, and I don't have the answer yet. I noticed it, too, that, that basically Kelsey was had to one catch for, I think it was six yards in the second half after going eight for six for 71 or something in the first half. So I noticed it. And I really need to look at the All-22 to see it. And as an analyst, we don't get the All-22 until midnight on Monday or after the Monday night game is completed. So I'll, I'll have it then and I'll be able to take a look at it. But I couldn't tell from the broadcast video what's going on in terms of how they're passing him from, uh, you know, what would be the primary coverage to the, to the back-end coverage, whether they're bracketing consistently on plays or what else they might be doing. I will say Kelsey helped the Ravens out with that drop in overtime because that looked like it was going to be the game-winning touchdown. Right. Uh, on a crossing pattern, and there would have been only one guy he had to beat uh, once he got past Clark there. All right. All right, Ken. Uh, well, that's going to do it for today. Your article is up on on uh, Russell Street Report, I'm sure? It is. So is the article on tiebreakers already for the week. So you want to see what the Ravens' tiebreaker situation It's out there. It's changed fairly significantly from last week, and uh, you get a, a, a kind of a, a view of that. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Film Study Ravens. Josh, give me your information on yeah. Birdland Sports. Yeah, well, go on over to Birdland Sports where you can download this podcast and many others. And check out, there's a new section 336 that'll come out this evening as well. So make sure you check that out. The baseball winter meetings are this week. So I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit about that and what this could mean for the Orioles. Yeah, it's exciting. What are you expecting for the winter meetings? Anything? Uh, no, not much. <laughs> not much. Uh, it's a horrible plug to say go go check out the podcast because nothing's really going to happen. Um, <laughs> the truth is, well, we're gonna we're a young team, so we're gonna we signed a, we made a little move and signed a guy today who I haven't looked up information about yet. I will know a little bit about him by the time we do the podcast, and then um, it's the Rule Five draft, so we'll we'll draft someone there. Uh, Manny Machado, Bryce Harper are going to get a lot of talk this winter meetings. And that's intriguing outside of the organization. And, of course, there's going to be constant talk this week. I'm sure at the winter meetings they're even looking into it and interviewing some manager candidates. Are, are they? When did the free agent period start for the for uh, Machado and Harper? A few weeks ago. Okay. So it's in full. It's on full swing. Some uh, there's already been some big trades this off season. So uh, Manny and Bryce, who knows when they're going to get signed? And it's now a battle of which agent can get the most money. So they'd probably want to be second to sign. You would, you would think, yes. So. I can. Well, we will talk soon to go over the offense. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.